Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-14. through 14. Now the Lord was going to Elijah up to heaven in a windstorm, and Elijah and Elisha were leaving Gilgal, and Elisha said to Elisha, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came out to Elisha. These prophets said to Elisha, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Elisha said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah said, Elisha, stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went to Jericho. The group of prophets from Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that, you're, that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So both of them went on together. Fifty members from one group of prophets also went along, but they stood at a distance. Both Elijah and Elisha stood beside the Jordan River. Elijah then took his coat, rolled it up, and hit the water. Then the water was divided in two. Both of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, What do you want me to do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, Let me have twice your spirit. Elijah said, You've made a difficult request. If you can see me when I'm taken from you, then it will be yours. If you don't see me, it won't happen. They were walking along, talking, when suddenly a fiery chariot and, a, and fiery horses appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went to the heaven in a windstorm. Elijah was watching, and he cried out, Oh, my father, my father, Israel's chariots and its riders, when he could not see, no longer see them. Elisha took hold of his clothes and ripped them in two. Then Elisha picked up the coat that had fallen from Elijah. He went back and stood beside the bank of the Jordan River. He took the coat that had fallen from Elijah and hit the water. He said, Where is the Lord, Elijah's God? And when he hit the water, it divided in two. Then Elisha crossed over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, when he said one more time, y'all sure started singing. I'm going to stick you up here every Sunday and just let you call out the songs for us. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear that which you've spoken through your text and that through your Holy Spirit you wish to speak to us today. Uh, may we hear it, receive it, and go forth and do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, growing up, I feel like, felt like I lived in a world divided. 
Uh, my mailing address was Greenville, North Carolina. But I was one mile from the city limits. So that means, meant I had to drive 14 miles to Farmville, North Carolina to go to school. Farmville is everything you can imagine from that town title. Uh, it's at one point was the uh, largest producer of tobacco in the world. Old tobacco money, um, daughters of the American Revolution. I mean, very genteel southern town uh, where everybody there knew everybody as long as you went to their things. If you went to their church and did their Boy Scouts and these things. Uh, if you didn't, you were weird and an outsider. I didn't. Henceforth, I was weird and an outsider. Uh, I felt that way in baseball. I felt that way uh, in dance. Yes, I took dance. Um, when we switched to ballet in seventh grade, I quit. Um, I, I loved tap and jazz. I still remember shuffle, ball, step, shuffle, ball, step. Uh, but seriously, all the other boys quit when it was ballet time, and yeah, it just didn't happen. Um, but I felt very weird and formal and felt very isolated and very alone. I never felt like I fit in. It uh, just didn't seem right. But Greenville, where I wanted to be, I always felt right. It was a university town. It was uh, the seat of arts and culture for Eastern North Carolina. And it was where my church was, Jarvis Memorial United Methodist Church, 225 years old, uh, the big columns on the front steps, uh, high church, big youth group. Uh, grew up there, dad worked with the youth program 20-something years, mom taught Sunday school, I played violin in the orchestra, and I had the best friends in the entire world of that church. A group of about five or six of us who met in middle school and we just stuck together forever. Uh, once we got older, we did everything. If we, if we knew there was a hurricane coming, we would make sure to end up at one person's house so when the power went out and school got canceled, we were together. Uh, once I could drive, my parents bought me a 96 Plymouth Neon. Uh, it, a little small for somebody who was 6'4 in sixth grade. Uh, but we'd load up about six or seven of us in this little tiny car and drive to Myrtle Beach every weekend. We did everything together. Uh, a lot of my friends had formed a Christian death metal band. That was not my thing, but I loved them. They'd play shows in these little mini storage buildings, and people would, like, show up, and you'd punch a code in to get them in. I loved these people. So we had a plan to how to keep this going after graduation. We were all going to get into the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, we were going to make sure we ended up in the same dorm. I know I, I saw that look. Chapel Hill, I know it's, I, I, I almost just said a university. Um, I have hence repented of my ways. Uh, I, I'll tell you about my Duke hat later. That's a different, different story. Um, we were all going to get into Chapel Hill. We were going to live in the same dorms. We were going to find a church together uh, and kind of keep this going. We were going to find our spouses. Life was going to be amazing. And so middle of senior year, everybody starts getting their letters. I got into NC State. I heard from ECU. My friends start hearing from Chapel Hill. And what do you think happened? I was the only one who didn't get in. Uh, my English grades had been a little too low. Despite being in the top 10 of my class, good SAT scores, I didn't get in. So 
have to figure out what to do. I can't possibly stay in Greenville. It's time to get out. All my friends are leaving. Uh, There's nothing here for me. So I'm going to go to NC State, and because I did like one half a second of accounting in high school, I'm going to be an accounting major at NC State uh, and take whatever classes the counselor tells me to take. I leave my graduating class of 157 and show up at NC State where my psychology class has 900 people. That is not hyperbole. It's literally 900 people. Uh, My calculus class, I only took algebra in high school. Uh, Calculus class first semester had 600 people in it with a professor who really didn't speak English. Um, To say I was in over my head and overwhelmed and aimless is an understatement. I uh, didn't find a church. I didn't really find any good friends. Uh, And so about six weeks in, I am feeling completely hopeless. And uh, my father called. Uh, I had a big old chunky cell phone. I remember him calling me on that. And I'm laying in my dorm room. And he said, Chad, you know if you ever need to come home, you can. I loaded that Plymouth Neon up so fast, (laughs) y'all. You don't even know. I never crossed the threshold of NC State again. I dropped out of school before you can bat an eye and ended up back in my parents' living room. I don't know what I was planning on doing, but that was the, I, I went. Uh, did what I thought I should do the first week and went back to church. Uh, and the farmer I worked for, we talked about him last week, makes me look small, walks up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, well, don't you think it's time you stopped acting like a boy and started acting like a man? I didn't grace the door of that church for two more years. Um, So I'd lost my friends. I'd lost my educational track. I had lost my church. Uh, My mother was a teacher for 35 years, and I don't think she was ever embarrassed by me, but I felt like I had let her down. Uh, I uh, was about as um, directionless as you could be. I started working retail, trying to figure out what life's going to look like. I started, uh, I majored in criminal justice for a little while. Actually, I got the degree, but it was the very last semester where I realized what my life in criminal justice was going to look like, and it wasn't what I wanted. Um, So I started adding another degree and working, uh, and about that point, my childhood youth pastor uh, is going to leave our church, and we need to hire a new one. Uh, They call me up knowing I haven't graced the doors in two years and say, will you come and help with the youth band? See, I played guitar. I uh, had kind of done all this contemporary worship things. Can you just come and help with the youth band while we're having a transition? And so I started coming to help with that, which somehow led to uh, being involved with the interviews for the new youth pastor. And there were a couple duds. Um, Y'all know how interviews go. There's a couple duds. And then this rock star showed up, Chad Oyer. Chad showed up from Detroit, Michigan, uh, like nothing Greenville had ever seen. He was theologically educated, but he was young and cool. He was, like, he was, he had hung the moon in my mind. Uh, and he absolutely treated me like I was wonderful. Really the first person in a while who acted like uh, I was worthy just because of who I was. Uh, he somehow managed to wrangle me into doing more things in the church to uh, will you come help just do some of these administrative things? Because I've always been administrative. Will you do this and this? And he starts investing in me. And before you know it, uh, I'm helping with a youth Sunday school. He's brought in some other people uh, and started investing in them. Cameron Bibb, who's our family pastor downtown, 
uh, about as aimless as me, and Chad begins to invest in him, uh, kind of bringing us alongside in this journey, helping us invest in students. He begins to preach a gospel I'd never heard. Most of my life, the gospel I heard was, uh, Jesus died for you, make sure you don't go to hell. Uh, if you do enough bad things, you're going to burn. Uh, if you don't pray the right now, I lay me down to sleep, you're going to go to hell. Um, you have to tip the cosmic scales to make sure you don't go to hell. And he came in and preached a message basically every week that said, God loves you. And then he gave us a task, go love other people. It's that simple. He did it over and over again, and it remarkably changed my life and it changed my identity. He, he let me invest in students, even though I wasn't much farther along than them in some ways. I, I got to go and sit on the beach in Daytona Beach, Florida, after big stuff, and sit with a kid who was going through major life crisis and talk to him about how God loves him. I am who I am today because Chad saw somebody and went and invested in him. Cameron Bibb is doing ministry downtown because Chad saw him and invested in him. The chain of people whose life are different because he was obedient when he saw somebody and invested in them is remarkable. I look on Facebook at these kids that we got to, to do ministry with and see both uh, the remarkable and the not remarkable and see how still God is working in all of it. Uh, some of these kids we work with, we have a boy named Sean, he's not a boy anymore, a, a man named Sean now, doing uh, missions work in Oman. We have a guy named Andrew in San Francisco who's helping understand clarity and charitable giving. We have these incredible Christian doctors and teachers and great people because Chad invested in us and let us invest in other people. He, he very much became a conduit of God's grace in our lives and helped us see God's face. I imagine if you reflect on your story, somebody somewhere invested in you. You've showed up here somehow, and you've stayed. A childhood Sunday school teacher, a mom, a best friend, a Boy Scout leader, uh, sometimes the karate instructor, identified that you were a child of God, told you that you're beloved, and then invested in you. But the story of Andover that I keep hearing is that you're a people who invest in other people, that you've uh, done this same thing. To me, that's what today's text is all about, being who Andover has already been. Uh, our, our text today is, is remarkable. Elijah last week, right, scared as the dickens, he's up in the mountains, and God says, I've got this. Go anoint Elisha, Hazel, and Jehu. We see that he goes and anoints Elisha. They uh, boil up the cows and have a party, and then uh, we have a bunch of text in between. What happens in the text between last week and this week is they did life together. They journeyed from that moment till today's text. Elisha got to see God in action through Elijah. He got to see Yahweh do remarkable things because Elijah kept investing in him. Years and years pass. Mainly bad kings come on the scene, and these two keep on their journey. Such that when we get to today's text... The unremarkableness of their response is remarkable. The text today says that it was the time when Elijah was going to ascend to heaven, right? This is a fairly uh, 
substantial life occurrence. We don't see it happen often. Uh, If someone told me, hey, Elizabeth is going to ascend today, I might be a little perplexed as to what was going to happen. I might even say, no, God, don't let that happen. I would. Um, Don't let that happen. Uh, I might be confused. I might, if I was Old Testament style, like uh, don sackcloth and ashes. Um, But today's text says that what happened is Elisha said, I know. I'm going to go journey with you while this happens. Uh, they, they go on the other side of the river. We see Elijah perform a few more signs and, and uh, wonders in God's power. And then he says, Elisha, what would you like? A double portion of your spirit. Uh, doesn't ask for money, doesn't ask for wisdom, doesn't ask for like the best prophetic following around. He asked for a double portion of God's spirit. And even Elijah at this point was like, well, that's a fairly substantial ask you just made. I'm pretty sure Yahweh can do it, but let's make sure. If you can see me when I'm going up, you're going to receive the Spirit. The clouds rip in half. We see chariots and horses, and Elijah ascends. I'd love to see a movie of this, right? Like, if you go Google the paintings of this, it's fairly astonishing. It's like uh, techno-colored craziness. Uh, And Elisha doesn't bat an eye. He sees what's happening. He sees Elijah's tunic fall to the ground, And he does what any good person would do. He puts on the tunic and goes on with ministry. He doesn't rip his clothes, sit down in a pile and cry. He takes up the mantle. He puts on his new clothes as the lead prophet of Yahweh. And the story is never the same. The the rest of the, the prophetic text in Kings shows us how Elijah goes and does his own miracles through Yahweh. How he goes out and heals. How he raises the dead. How he brings life from barrenness. And he did it because he had seen God act throughout this whole time together. I've got to imagine the scene looks totally different had it just occurred out of nowhere. But they had journeyed for decades together, seeing God act over and over and over again. I've seen God act over and over again because of people in my life. I am not sure where my life would be if Chad Oyer had not invested in me. If he had not said, God loves you. I have to believe that's true for you all too. That somebody has invested in you and very much let you see the face of God through relationship. It's the story I hear of Andover. I showed up one day and somebody took me to lunch. Somebody has checked up on me when I've been sick. Somebody invited me to a Sunday school class to make sure I was being taken care of. Somebody asked about my kid when they were sick. That's what we're going to keep doing. We, we have a chance here uh, to be the best at something. Todd's making us read this terrible book called Good to Great. We read it in business school, and it's, it really is atrocious. It's, uh, half of it doesn't translate anymore. I mean, it's just like the, the identified successful companies, like half of them have fall, like fallen apart. Uh, <laughs> Dell, whoo, Dell's like the best company ever. Uh, GE, like can't fall apart, it's falling apart. But the, the question there, I think, is a, is a very appropriate question. What can you be the very best at? 
And as a church, I think there's a lot of things we can't be the best at or we're not going to choose to be the best at, right? We're not going to be the best rock concert in town. That's not who we are, and that's also not what, like, we're geared for, right? We're, uh, we're not going to have the fanciest bus in town. Uh, I think we can absolutely be the best at investing in people, at, at offering relationship in a world that so desperately needs it. It's the story that's been here, and it's the story that seems to continue, and it's the story of Scripture. Uh, Robert Coleman wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism and looked at what Scripture says we should do in terms of uh, evangelizing people and reaching people. He said it's not nearly as complicated as you think it is. You identify someone, you invest in them, and then invite them to invest in other people. Jesus did this, right? He picked a small group, called them to himself, and then he journeyed with them, Those disciples have whole books where they write letters to churches that they went and started by going and investing in people. I'm standing here today because somebody invested in me, and I think I'm fairly confident you are too. And so my question for you is, who are you going to invest in? If, If you've taken your discipleship journey far enough to end up in the pew, but you're not investing in someone else, we're missing a golden opportunity for the Spirit to work in and through you to be able to show God's face to someone else. Who's the person that maybe even seems too far away? It might be your adult child who has kind of given up on the church. It might be that coworker. It might be your child who dropped out of college and felt aimless. Um, Who is the person that you particularly can go to, that you can uh, tell them God loves you, and that you'll journey with them regardless of where they are, whether they have it all together or where they are aimless as, as they can be, who is that person? This isn't one of those like just kind of theoretical fun little pastor questions. This is one of those like, please don't leave if you don't have a face sitting visually in front of you. The person that you need to go and love so that God can love in a new way. In a minute, we're going to sing our closing hymn. I'm actually going to come down to the, the altar rail. Uh, where you are or at the rail, I invite you to take seriously this prayer of who can I go and love? Who can I invest in so that they might see the face of God? You're here because someone invested in you. Let's be a people who go and invest in others. Would you pray with me? Loving God, forgive us for how often we make the work you've called us to entirely too complicated. For where we try to programatize loving people for where we uh, actually get in our own way and more importantly when we get in your way put in each one of our hearts and minds the person that you want to show your face to and are just waiting for us to go and be a conduit of your grace make clear how you wish us to go and invest in others Lord I thank you for this room of people who are here because someone invested in them. This church that's built on the back of relationships and who understands its DNA to be going, telling somebody that they're loved by God and welcoming them in. Being a place where strangers become family, a place where they become part of us. Fill us with your spirit. Send us forth from this place as beacons of hope in a world that so desperately needs your hope. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.
going to invite you to stand.